Welcome back, Nitty Gritty. We have a new episode this week, and it's a family episode (laughs) with Uncle Blair. Uncle Blair. Not my uncle, not your uncle, but Cameron's uncle. My uncle. So famous Hollywood producer, director. I'd say director, producer. I don't want to get mad at us. He makes films, not movies. <laughs> really cool story, though. Like a yeah. lot of, even some stories you didn't know about him. Right. Right. Yeah. And I figured that would happen. I mean, he's got stories for days, but it was kind of cool. I didn't know any of that BYU stuff. Yeah. I really liked the, like so his start. his first film. Yeah. His start was, that might've been my favorite part of the story. Yeah. I mean, just all the stuff about like filming skaters and splicing film in high school and well, the phone book thing wow it's just, yeah that was the like the coolest part because he like taught himself how to do that and, yeah, like, and in, in an era that there it. wasn't anything yeah to do like to be taught he just like showed himself how to splice film and video and he made like stop motion with like the phone book like in the corner like la county phone book by <laughs> yeah. the way i mean that's a five inch thick book so but it's such a cool episode it's it's different than you know a lot of the other episodes we've had yeah i mean we haven't had famous movie producers well he kind of transitioned into now he works for the church yeah and you know he made beat the mormon so there's it's a cool story from you know junior high high school then going to college yeah and then that's when he finally figured out like oh i actually want to make movies yeah and then disney anyway it's a great story yeah and you're gonna love it what else do we need to talk about? I feel like we don't do a good enough job in the intro with talking about like subscribing, sharing, talking about perk energy. Light, rate, review. Like, rate, <laughs> review. Um, we would love to get some submissions on people that you want us to talk to. Um, we love you. Thank you. What else? Perk. Perk. I feel like we have to do a better job talking about our uh, partners. No. You know, we definitely or affiliates. Do. I can't even think of like what the codes are right now. Oh, well, just try nitty gritty. I'm pretty sure it's nitty gritty for that stuff and it yeah. will work. Nitty gritty XXX. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Love you. Enjoy it. We'll see you next week. Welcome back to the nitty gritty. We're here with a very special guest. How many relatives have been on this show with, for me? How many? Three? Four? 17. 17. So this is family. our 17. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting? Seriously? 17? No, I no, have no, no idea. Just a few. But my uncle Blair True is with us today. Film producer, director, actor. Hollywood massage star. Massage therapist. Oh, pickleball stunt pickleball man. star. Stunt man. Hey, I'm um, just thrilled to be on hallowed ground here at, uh, <laughs> here at the famous barbecue place yeah. in all of barbecue dumb how do you say Bar- that i don't know i just made i just up. make barbecue i don't really know words but but bam bam's is a special place i just came for a free meal is that for sure you do get a part of the meal. deal absolutely that, okay that's how, Every get, guest. that's how we get most guests <laughs> it's, it's a pretty significant enticement it is i agree well welcome thanks for coming well thanks for having uh, me. we've actually wanted to have blair in here for a while and he is my most famous relative that can't be true. That is true. No, is it true? true? Hold on, let's think. I don't know all your relatives. Wasn't there a true that played in the NFL? Yeah, yeah, played for the Raiders, but I think he's one of Bills. Yeah, well, he's got to be. Well, Bill True, three hundred, not Bill. Who, what? Who, who's great grandpa? 
So one how, that had lots of kids. So how are you guys related? Uncle. Uncle. Yep. Okay. He's my uncle. He's my dad's little brother. Yep. And uh, yeah, we hang out quite a bit. We do. We golf quite a bit. Now we play pickleball together. We just played this morning and yesterday morning and the day and before. And Cam coaches me. Did He's you really win? kind. I, we switched pretty much every game, but yeah. we won some games. So do you have as many paddles as Cam does? No. He, I can answer that without even knowing yeah. how many paddles. It's funny, it's funny you say that. He texts me three days ago. He goes, hey, uh, your dad said that, because he's shopping for a paddle. And he goes, your dad said that you've got some paddles that I can maybe try out. Like, would you mind bringing some? And I bring him my whole bag and I just like lay out five. I'm like, here you go. Here's all my old paddles from the last four months. It's great though. After that, I ordered one. So yeah. But then he ordered that. my current one. He liked my current one the best. Just well, that's like why I it's do. your current one. It, totally right. It's my... It is my uh, November paddle, so I'm very excited about it. But, but no, it's fun. But it's funny every time we're together, I tend to get new stories from Uncle Blair. It's going to be hard for you not, or hard for me not to call you Uncle Blair because my dad used to strike me if I was not respectful. Really? Oh well, yeah, probably. Wow, probably. But I'll try not to call you and, Uncle Blair. And some of the stories might be true. <laughs> Just go with that. We'll find out. So most recently. You do a lot of your film work with, I mean, a director is the title that you're most well known for, right? I mean, that's I would, yeah, that's director. Yeah, yeah. So, but you most recently worked for the church, LDS church. Yeah. Church, hold on. <clears throat> the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, of course. That's right. We used to say yeah, on my mission, we used to say we were Michigan, Mor I served in Detroit. So we used to say we're Michigan Mormonaries from the Church of Cheese and Rice of Rattle Day Snakes. <laughs> Just as an icebreaker, you know. <laughs> wow, it's impressive you remember. You that. Is that going to get me in trouble? Right off. No, no, that's probably going to get me in trouble. You guys. Oh my god. Listen, isn't it like BYU head coach? Like there can't be that many card carrying like feature film directors out there, right? That are still card carrying. I mean, like either. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. We <laughs> do tend to, we do have a like tendency that. to go wayward. That's 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 kind of the, the mo. So I want to learn a little bit more about how you got going before we jump into kind of what you what you're doing. So how did it all begin? Like how did even the idea? Like where did the desire start from? I think you know I was I was thinking I get asked that and I it's been hard to answer that. But I so I've given it some thought, knowing that you might ask me that. <laughs> uh, and I remember a specific moment in time. It wasn't that, that I knew in that moment, I want to be a film director, but it was, you know, you have moments in your life where there's, there's moments of influence. And so for me, I was probably seven or eight years old. I was playing with some cousins or whatever. And there was a pile of toys down in the basement. It was an unfinished basement, you know, concrete and everything. And there was this one particular toy that caught my interest. It was this one. It, it, I picked it up and you, you put it up to your eyes and you just twist the handle, you crank it. And it was like a mini, like a one minute animated cartoon, but you could play it forward or backwards. You could play it slow or fast. And you I was just the crank. Yeah. And I was fascinated by the idea that a series of stills in rapid succession could create the illusion of motion. Wow. So it was animation. Okay. I didn't even know what animation was. I just, but that's what I now in retrospect, I look back, that's what caught my interest. And so. I was fascinated with that. I'd go slow and forward and backward. I would, this is really incredible. And so I started just, it just remained with me. And then I don't know. Were if you very I, artistic growing up? Like, were you creating? I used to draw a little bit. I wasn't very good, okay. you know, but I, I drew and, and, and things like that. And, and uh, 
my dad would bring home these note. My dad was a hospital administrator and he would bring home these notepads left from vendors. You know, these were guys that supplied his food or supplied hospital beds or whatever. I remember he brought home one that was from some company that supplied these adjustable hospital beds. And so, and it's down the corner of a notepad. And so I created this little stick figure character that would jump up and down on this hospital. By like flipping the book? Yeah, you just flip through the pages. And he had, you know, a head, arms, legs, you know, toes. And he would jump up and down. And with each successive cartoon that I drew, they got became more and more elaborate. And eventually, I mean, my th- eventually they, it was just harmless fun, right? My family didn't think much of it. And, but they would pick up these notebooks. Scott, you know, my older brother, Cam's dad, he's got four and a half years on me. He'd pick up this and he'd start flipping through it and he'd chuckle and he'd laugh. And it made me, I thought, oh, this is cool. I made him laugh, you know? Something I drew made somebody laugh, and I think that's that was, not easy to do with Scott Drew. <laughs> yeah, got to work for. Did he laugh bit. at you a lot? Is it, no, he didn't. Or you no. tried? Yeah, I mean, he laughed at me at my failures, maybe. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, he was a good dad. No, he's awesome. And you were a good kid. I know you like to maybe pretend otherwise, but you were a good kid. I was a good kid. Thank you. You were Uncle Blair. And he was. Ama- you were amazing with a hockey stick in the street, by the way. <sighs> Those were the days, but, but so, so, but what was cool is I graduated and this is a big deal. I graduated to the LA County phone book. Okay. Oh, you made animations. (laughs) And then the orange County phone book. We had both in our house. Okay. I know that your listeners probably, what's a phone book, right? You do everything on, you look it up online. Our listeners probably know what phone books are still, right? Yeah. So a phone book is, you know, a list of all the numbers of everybody, all the listed numbers. And it's, it's really thick and the pages are pretty thin. And so you, I would flip through those and I would create like these feature length, I mean, 10 minute cartoons. It would take me, pages. yeah, it would take me a week to do one. And when you got to the, to, when you finished flipping side A, you'd turn the phone book over and flip to side B. It'd be an Instagram account. Oh yeah. People would be all over that. It's called stop motion. I would uh, yeah, give, I, I, I'm, literally, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. I would give $10,000 if I could have just one of those back. I don't know what happened. Oh man. But they would be scenes of like, uh, and they'd be detailed. There would be cuts, like there'd be scenes. And like there. It's like it wasn't just a stick figure. It, well, it was stick figures, but they were detailed. Like I would do baseball scenes. Like I'd have the batter, you know, swinging the bat, getting ready. And then okay. the pitcher, we'd cut to the pitcher, getting ready for his windup. Then he'd throw, and then it would be close up on the ball, spinning through the air. <laughs> and then, the, then the guy would hit it, and you'd cut to the outfielder running, and he'd crash through the fence. And, and you the, were how old? Like 10. Wow. Maybe 10, 11. But I had no interest in movies at that point. It was sure. just something that I did for fun. Dang. And everybody thought, this kid's twisted. I mean, the only thing that could sit me... <laughs> The only thing that would keep me sitting was that I, I was lousy at school. You know, in high school, I had a, I had a good solid GPA of probably 2.0 at Marina High School. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> it's amazing I even got to enough to stay on the tennis team. Yeah. Well, the right? tennis team, we had 140 kids on the tennis team. Oh, my god. It was a gosh. big school. We were bigger than Rick's College. That's a big tennis team. That's where I was supposed to go to high school. Tell my it's parents so ruined everything. <laughs> it looks like a prison. It does has a moat around it. Yeah, it does. It really it's a does. Big flood the control. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. It had just this, why it wasn't. That's just the way it yeah. worked out. In fact, on senior prank day, stuff. on senior prank day, we stacked up all the, you know, the parking, you know, those little concrete parking header stalls, whatever right. the, the you, you bump up next. Yeah, thing. we we would we had a tool that could rip up the the um, rebar the rebar. Yeah, and we'd lift those and we stacked them up on the bridge and nobody could get into school. <laughs> 
That would be a I, lot of work. Honestly, I mostly watched because I was kind of a scrawny kid, and I mostly watched. I didn't have the strength. You were directing. You were just yeah, telling them what to do, right. where to go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I won't take credit for that, but <laughs> I was there, and I didn't, you know, I didn't report it. I should have. <laughs> it's a better story now that you didn't. So, yeah, it's very true. So, you were ten. You started doing phone books. Yeah, so it just it just became kind of more of a like a scientific. I was interested in, and then it became one of, hey, you're telling stories, you're, and and that's what film is is storytelling, and uh, when films are well done and they tell a story well, they can move people, you know, for better or for worse, they yeah. can move people. So, uh, but still, I didn't have any inkling of that at that point. It was just an interest, and it, and it became you know I, I saved up, and my dad helped me pay for a, a little Bell and Howell Super Eight movie camera and i don't know if you ever saw did you guys ever see the movie uh, lords of dogtown oh lords. of course okay so uh that was where i met uh well i actually worked with some of the cast on that but anyway in a later film but at that point you know that takes place in as i remember it takes place in like santa monica and venice yeah venice yeah but it's spilled over into huntington at that point and so when i was a kid i had a skateboard with steel wheels and then clay wheels and then right. urethane came in and it completely revolutionized everything well this is the birthplace of like skateboarding and bmx biking and i was right in the middle of that so i filmed my friends who were much better at all that stuff than i was i was just pretty good with the camera i did it and i was okay but they were so i they jump over the top of me and we'd create these you know these little music videos before music videos were a thing i'd put on like chicago or whatever and i would i would actually cut the film in my bedroom to the Jeez. record. How did you know how to do this? There's, I, I there's, just discovered. I just YouTube. But that's what I was gonna say. There's, <laughs> there's not a, so many of our guests have been like, oh yeah, it's, I just YouTube stuff like that. Well, no, there was no, there was no. That's not how that worked. We didn't. We remember this is before internet. Yeah. This is before Al Gore, and so we didn't have internet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones. And the first cell phone I ever possessed was when I was in college. Yeah. So, but that's you know. what I'm saying. Like as a young kid, how did you even know how to use the camera, let alone come up with this idea that we're going to cut? And I'm, I mean, the Encyclopedia Britannica. No, but I'm, I'm serious. Like, how did you learn? Um, like, just trial and error. Was it because what were your parents teaching you? Well, I remember seeing, I remember seeing some films. I used to go down to the Huntington Beach Public Library, and you could check out a 16 millimeter print of Endless Summer. Wow. Or any of the current, this is pr just pre Warren Miller, right? You could check out a ski movie or a surf movie and you could rent the projector. You take it home. I used to actually go wow. down and rent the projector. I'd carry it on my little banana stingray bike and I'd carry the projector on my left with the reel under my arm, one hand on the, you know, on the, on the handlebars. And I would take that projector home with whatever films and I would charge the kids in my neighborhood a nickel to come in and see the movie. <laughs> And then that would pay for my rental, okay? <laughs> and then I would, I would run it I forward, I would run it backwards, and I was just fascinated with, the, and I would learn by just watching the movies. And so it was mostly just action stuff. But again, at that point, I didn't want to be a filmmaker. I didn't really have any inkling of that until really until after my mission. When it, that is so weird that there's no inkling of that when you're splicing film. Yeah. Well, it was just something I did for movies. Fun. I know I should have been an exhibitor. Funny? I should have been like the next AMC, right? But <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Well, what I, happened? I guess that's true, though. I mean, maybe that's because I mean, with barbecue, it was the same way. Like I, 
Yeah, for the first know? three or four years, it's not like I wanted to be a restaurateur. You know what I mean? Well, like, I just loved barbecuing. And Betsy just wanted better betting for, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. how it all starts. And maybe that's the best way to do it because when you're doing something because it's just fun and you love it. Well, I've heard, I've heard many artists say the best way to, and compose, film composers say the best way to ruin a kid is put him in art school. Yeah. Let him explore him or her. Isn't that art? Sister. Freedom of expression? Yeah. I mean, you've got you've to gotta let until, they, until it graduates to something more profound or something more meaningful where, oh, I can actually. I mean, it didn't even dawn on me until I was a business major in college and failing at it, by the way, um, <laughs> that um, and I encountered the films. You know, they, the BYU had a film uh, studio out in the back lot and I went out there and it all changed literally. Now I say it all changed in one day. It was really set up by decades of, sure. of experiences, but I went out to the BYU film studios and a guy by the name of Robert Stum, who was the director of photography out there. He had shot like the mailbox and the phone call. These are films you're looking at me like, well, what are these? But these are the old, old black and white movies that mailbox, like the things you hit with the bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you feel them blowing up. You should, you should watch these if you can, because they're really pretty funny. I mean, now we laugh at them, right? But yeah, but, or Johnny lingo. Okay. He shot Johnny lingo. Okay. Now you're talking. That's right. Everybody's heard of Johnny lingo. That's right. Well, Bob Stum took me on a tour of the studio. I'm just this, young freshman student i'm not even a film student and he took time out of his schedule to take me on a tour and i went back on onto the lot on, on the, the sound stage and there was some students shooting a scene and i watched what they were doing and without knowing any of the terminology i instinctively knew what they were doing because you've been doing it i'd been doing it in fact in fact they were shooting a scene incorrectly they were doing what's called they were crossing the line if i'm shooting if you and i are facing each other right yeah and if, if we're going to shoot a scene, if I'm going to shoot a scene of this, I might shoot a wide shot that has each of us from profile, right? Or yeah. I might shoot and then I might have a, another angle that's over my left shoulder facing you and then over your right shoulder facing me so that we're looking at each other. Well, if I shoot the scene over my left shoulder and then I come to the other side of the line and shoot over your left shoulder, it's crossing the line. We're not even looking at each other. People don't think about that. The simplest way to describe that is if you're at a parade and you film the parade going left to right, and then halfway through the parade, you cross the street. Now the parade's going right to left, okay? That's called crossing the line. It's a little thing. It's something that can be very confusing in a chase scene if you're not mindful of that. So they were shooting the scene, and I realized they're crossing the line. I did, didn't know what the did, terminology was. I was gonna was, say, did you know what I that said was to called? The, I said to the perceived instructor, I said, well, this isn't gonna cut together because they're not gonna be looking at each other. And they said, oh, you know what, that's, that's actually right. Wow. And I, and I, and this was just a freshman class. So again, I didn't know anything. I really didn't know anything about filmmaking, but I realized in that moment, wow, people make movies, they make commercials, they make documentaries and they make a living doing this. This is what I have to do. And I literally called my dad that night. So I'm changing my major from business to film. And he, he freaked out just a little, not, <laughs> not a lot. I mean, he really was generally pretty supportive, but you know, and then I got enrolled and I didn't waste any, I, I sold my car. He loaned me like 1500 bucks. I sold my rundown Camaro and I raised enough money to make my first student film. And I got lucky and sold it and paid for my education. It's like, what? wow, how does this happen? What? Dang. Hold on. I don't even, I didn't know that story. You just, you, ra you raised money I'm, to do a film. Yeah. 
I, it was $2,800. Was this happening? My Camaro wasn't worth much, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but like, was this happening? Like, was that, once again, had you seen someone else do this? Like, how did you have the idea? There was, oh, yeah, I'm going to, because you hadn't even been in film. Well, I was thinking back on those little short films that I had rented from the public library. And I thought, somebody has to make those, right? I wasn't thinking major films. Like, I wasn't thinking, ooh, I'm going to make a major feature film that's going to play in the movies. I just want to make, like, wouldn't it be cool to go around and, and shoot surfers and make, like, The Endless Summer? That can't be that hard, right? That's what I was thinking as a you Okay. Know, as a so what was the film that you did? Um, it was, it, again, luckily, I was so naive, I didn't know that I couldn't write. Um, I know that sounds really funny. Because I later worked at, you know, it led me to Disney where I was oversaw script coverage where we had, you know, we got 150 scripts a week, right? Jeez. From real writers that were represented by agents. I never had an agent. I was never a writer like that. But I didn't know that I couldn't do it, so I just did it. So I wrote this story. I don't know how detailed to go, but it was, it was um, I thought, well, I'm at BYU. It should have a film that's, you know, I, I feel strongly that film should uplift and should be, should have some beyond just entertainment value. They should have something to say that's positive or else what's the point. It's just commerce at that point, yeah. nothing wrong with commerce. I mean, I'm a capitalist as much as anybody, but if it's just, if it's just about the money, do something else. Yeah. Uh, when you have people, you know, in the dark and you, you kind of, in a sense, you kind of own them for a while, as long as you've got them captive. Sure. You have responsibility to say something positive. I think, okay. That's just my opinion. Not everybody feels that way, but um, anyway, so I diverge. So um, that film was about, uh, it was called Others. I look at it now, I mean, I can't even watch it now because it's so like over the top silly. But remember, this is 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm an old fart here, guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and it was about, um, it's about the concept. And I'd heard some, some, one of the kids in my ward gave a little, we used to call them two and a half minute talks, right? And they talked about the concept of joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. That's if you live life in that order, and I wish that I could, okay? Sometimes I do, but What order not, do you live your life in? Well, I'm kind of probably just the, how would you say it backwards? <laughs> Yo, George. Yodge? Yeah, I'm more of a Yodge say guy. you. But when you like do. Me, myself, and I, Jesus. <laughs> Meej. <laughs> Meej. <laughs> so that was the concept, and it was just a simple story about, um, I mean, I don't, should I go into the story? I mean, I can if you want, but I don't know that's, I mean, well, I, I, I think it'd be cool. Know, a we, little, can do it, a, we can always cut it out later. Right. right? <laughs> just a little, just a little background. I think it'd be awesome. So this, so it starts with this guy who's a machinist. He's out of work. He's been out of work for three months. And the, the opening scene, he comes home to his wife and, and we learn that she's been taken in laundry. She's got like 55 lines with laundry on them out in the back and she's taken in laundry at, at a buck of whatever she can get. You know, and they have this little dialogue and establishes that no, no luck hunting for a job today. And, and in the middle of that, they're interrupted by a little girl who comes home from school and we don't know where she goes to school. It's some type of parochial school. So I, I made the film so that it would be attractive to Catholics, Protestant, Jews, Mormons. And that's what, that's what ultimately made it successful because yeah. it wasn't just a, a, an LDS or Mormon or sure. centric film. It was something that anybody that had any Christian, even, even if you weren't Christian, you could find something in it. 
And she comes home and she had this little drawing and it says, uh, G J O Y Jesus, others yourself. And he says, Oh, that's cute, honey. And they kind of pat her on the head, you know, and send her on her way. And she says, now Mrs. Hansen made me promise to put this somewhere where we'd always see it. Okay. That's great. And they kind of dismiss her. They've got bigger problems to worry about. Right. So he gets a call that night his, from his friend Ross and Ross says, Hey, there's a job opening tomorrow. We haven't posted it yet, but if you get here first, I'm sure it's going to be yours. The machine shop in town. So he's all excited. He gets up the next morning, gets in his truck and she's posted this thing on the passenger side of his old beat up pickup truck. Jesus, others yourself. So he's on his way into town. He's feeling pretty chipper. He's going to finally get a job after being out of work for three months and he, he's feeling good. So he picks up this hitchhiker and it turns out that the hitchhiker uh, he picks up this hitchhiker and the hitchhiker notices a sign and kind of mocks the sign. He says, what, do you really believe this? Hitchhiker's obviously been, he's had it rough and, it, and he learns through dialogue that the hitchhiker has also been out of work. But guess what? He's also a machinist looking for work. So now he's come face to face with the reality. Does he tell this guy about this job opening? Because he asked him point blank, this hitchhiker says, hey, is there, do you know any jobs in town? And he says, no. And right then he knows, oh my gosh, I don't really believe this. I don't believe what I've got posted in my truck. So he lets the hitchhiker out and he feels terrible about it. And, uh, he goes around and racked with guilt and he picks him up and he takes him to the machine shop and actually gives him the job that was supposed to be his. And now he's got to go back and explain to his wife what happened. And she gives him this whole thing about, Hey, the Lord, Lord provides for those who provide for themselves. And he's still out of work. Well, in the end, the hitchhiker that got his job ended up being so good at what he does that they got a bigger contract. And then he, end up, he ends up going out and he finds out from his buddy um, that what he had done. So he goes out and starts to look for a job for him without him even knowing about it. And as it turns out, all three of them end up working at the machine shop together. It's about a 20 minute film. Wow. Has a great ending. And uh, I'd like to maybe even remake it, but I'd probably do a lot better job now than. That's you know. awesome. So how long, <laughs> like how long did it take you to make it? It took me a whole summer because I was the camera and sound guy. And I mean, I literally had, there, it was a three man crew. And how did you convince people to come like be actors? Well, BYU acting school, anybody will, you know, be in front of the camera. Okay. You know, so, um, and you know, cause actors need a reel. They need something sure. to show, you know, something to so show like who comes in and buys it. Concordia publishing. I send it off to a couple of places thinking I'm never going to sell this. And that wasn't the intent necessarily. Yeah. If I can just, and the guy, you know, I get this call, Hey, we'd like to buy your film. You know, do you want to do a residual royalty pad or do you want to just do an outright purchase? I didn't trust that they'd pay a royalty. So I said, let's just do an outright buy. And he said, well, how much do you want for it? Thank heavens. I did not say a word after that. <laughs> Cause I was going to say, well, I'd like to get my production car. I mean, I can buy another rundown Camaro. I can get my car back and then I can pay my dad back the, yeah. you know, 1500 bucks that I borrowed from him or what. And, and that was more meaningful to me to be able to pay him back than anything. But so he then named his, I said, why don't, why don't you guys make an offer and I'll just, you know, counter if necessary. And he made his offer and I, how much was it? Come well, on. It's just what, what like was the 40 offer? years. Well, it was a lot of money back then. I mean, to you guys, you make that here in a day probably, but what, like 60,000? No, it's like 40 grand. Oh my gosh. That's a day and a half for me. Just so <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, thanks to my investing education that I've gotten from I've Andrew got an Amazing. I've got an amazing well. nephew. 
<laughs> you sold that for 40 grand? That's crazy. Yeah. So I was just, you know, sophomore and I, I realized I got lucky, you know, and, uh, and I got in a little bit of trouble because the administration said, Hey, you're not here to make money with the films you make. So well, of course. So like school, the school was like <laughs> proud of you. They were mad at you. They were, yeah, they, that was really kind of, it was kind of weird. School would have been happy with you. Yeah. <laughs> the Marriott's would have been like, <laughs> bravo, bravo. Film school. But it was we, fun. I got to pay my dad back. And then I actually paid the actors and uh, I paid him scale. I paid him SAG scale, Screen Actors Guild scale. Back then it was like 380 bucks a day and they were thrilled with that. How many chicks did you get after you got that 40 grand? <laughs> I were was, you like the was, big man on campus after that? You know, there was, uh, there's an interesting, and this is actually a true story. There was a teller that I thought was really uh, hot. Anyway. The bank teller? Bank teller. Okay. And she wouldn't give me the time of day. I asked her out a couple times. <laughs> and then he came and dropped the check. <laughs> no, it's serious. She said to me, she said, so what you studying? You know, I said, I'm film film major. She goes, oh, well, and she kind of smiled. Let me know when you're pre-med. She said that, and she kind of smiled. She says, "I'm just, I'm not, I'm just kidding." She says, "But not really, but kind of, but not really." Oh my gosh! And so it's like seriously, and so I could never get. So when I got that check, I'm serious. This is this, you guys. This is so. I, we got to cut this out. But no when I got way. the check, when I got the check, it's juicy. I waited in line. I made sure that she was there, <laughs> and I waited in line, and. I was saying, okay, please be her window that opens next. And it wasn't. So I, I had to go back and like fake putting a signature on it. Oh, you go ahead of me. And then I got back in line and, and then her window opened up, it, you know, how it works. She, yeah. There's three or four people waiting there. And then I just nonchalantly slid the check. I just got to make a deposit. <laughs> and she looked at it. She goes, whoa. And then uh, what's this from? Oh, I just, I just sold a film and. You know, just, just a little student, student film, no big deal. And I so played it down and she was so friendly after that. And wow. did we go out after that? No, I had, I wanted nothing to do with this person. I just wanted her to see that, you know, Hey, wow. filmmakers are people too. That's right. She's a real idiot. That's what you get. So I just got an interesting text message from this power broker that I know named Brent. He did some math over there in the booth of what 40,000 is equivalent to in the Biden economy currently right oh, now. Yeah. What is that? $134,266.50. Yeah. It was a lot of money back then for me. That's a lot of money for, yeah. I would have the most my check for a student film. I think the most my account ever had in it at any one time was, I think Matt, I was thrilled when I had over $200 in that account. Could you imagine a college kid walking into no. a bank right now? The 134K from their BYU student film. Oh my gosh. You're like, pre med what bit? I was stunned though Dang. at the professor's reaction because it's like, instead of like, it, had I been like, uh, had I been like at, at USC or AFI, American Film Institute or any of those, they would have gone, yeah, that's awesome. Let's, let's do this again. And, but it's like, hmm. We have to examine this policy. Because oh my gosh! It's like, oh my goodness. Luckily, they changed about three years ago. It's where they're not like that anymore. Yeah, I'm just kidding. They yeah. probably haven't. So, wow. What was next? So, I mean, you kind of got your first taste of what it was like. You got your first taste of success. Did right? we ask where the story came from? Like the actual 
the story oh. was just in my head. It was just really, yeah, it just came out. In and my where did head. joy come from? Where did you learn that again? The acronym. I saw it. I saw that same like little rendering in a from a primary class wow. that some kid had done. Holy crap! Big That's J cool. with Jesus, and underneath it, big you know O for others, second, and Y yourself, third, J O Y. I mean, I know our family history. Like, I still there's no machine it. shop in our family history. Like, <laughs> the machinist thing. Like, maybe Detroit. Did that come from Detroit? I, I mean, have no idea. When now you were on your mission in Detroit, I mean, that was still the tail end of. Oh, this is too much pressure. I don't know, Cam. Now he's pressure. I have no idea where these come that's, from. That's cool. He's always know. wanted. To, Cam's always trying to analyze what's in my head. <laughs> it's true. He does give me free I'm therapy. Very analytical. I get so. free therapy from Cam all the time. <laughs> I think it's such a cool. You should remake it. I think that would be a really cool. Little I still family. own the story. I probably should. That'd be cool. That'd be, just you guys want to invest? What do you sure. Think? Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. All right. So then what was next then? I mean, you went through school. What was your first job out of school? Um, I made a couple more films and, and, and they were promo films. I loved flying. And so I did a film, a promo film for Rocky mountain helicopters. And that was fun to spend the summer doing that and got paid for that. So from then it was on, from then on, it was kind of a paid gig. Okay. And, uh, I finished up, I didn't go to class a lot. I just went enough to kind of get, I, I did get pretty good grades. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it, like if you're a photographer, it's all about your portfolio. It's sure. not about what type of an essay, how good you are at writing essays about photography. It's really Which about how it should be. Yeah. Your body of the work. work. Yeah. Exactly. Body of work. So I was just trying to get as much as I could under my belt. And so I, I really wanted to go. I, my, my goal was to be at Disney. How come? I think because I knew that my personal morals were not going to be ripped to shreds to the okay. degree that they would be had I gone somewhere else. Okay. Plus, I wasn't was going to be, there was this bank teller. <laughs> yeah. She's that. an exec at Disney now. <laughs> 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 and so I tried, I actually tried to get in there and I was able to, I had a friend that was an accountant there and I thought, well, that's wow. somebody. So he got me on the lot, got me an interview with then the, the senior production. He was Marty Katz. He was the senior VP of television and features. He, so he oversaw every TV movie and every feature that was gone. And Disney was the happening place. I mean, it was at, in 1985, it was the happening place. Um, Marty Katz is a huge, we, I looked at his list of movies. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, so he oversaw everything and, and I, and we called him Mr. Freeze cause he kept his office at like you know, 55 degrees I'm all the time. About. And I didn't know that, I mean, <laughs> cocaine and all that stuff. I mean, it, that guy goes a mile a minute anyway. He didn't have a job for me. There was nothing there. I'd even had these, you know, films and everything, but there was nothing there. He was mostly the, the type of positions that were available were filled by high school age students that were sons and daughters of producers on the lot. Okay. That's what I was competing against. Well, then what happened is I showed my others, I showed others at a fireside down there in California. And this very chill guy comes up to me and says, Hey, you know, I have some friends. I'd love to, you know, help you out because I spoke at the fireside and expressed a desire to try to get into the business somehow. And, these, yeah. and there were, there were people peppered around, you know, sprinkled into the, in the uh, audience that were in the entertainment industry. And he said, you know, I know, I understand you've been on the lot to see Marty. That's great. Let me see if I can help out. And I'm thinking, what can this guy do? I mean, I just met the senior VP of yeah, television right. features. Who can this guy possibly know? Yeah. Right. So 
my I'm living at home. I'm just fresh. I just graduated. Living with, you know, Grandma Dory. Yeah. Cam knows her, right? Not married. And down in Hollywood thinking, okay, now what am I going to do? And then the very next day I get a call. And it's, uh, I'm supposed to go, and my mom has written the note. And it says, you're supposed to go meet with Mr. Wells and Mr. Eisner at Disney tomorrow <laughs> at 2 o'clock. Just you know, just wait for it. You're, I, I mean, this, this is going to, you're going to realize how completely, what a complete idiot I am. <laughs> okay. So I wonder who they are. So I drive down to Disney from Long Beach. It takes a long time. To, I pull into the, I have a, you know, I pull into the security gate. I said, I'm here to see uh, Mr. Wells and Mr. Eisner. And this big, you know, big security guard laughs at me. He's like, you don't have, get out of here. I mean, he has that kind of attitude, like, get out of here, kid. Yeah. And seriously, no, look on the, you know, I'm, I've got a, I've got a drive on. I don't know what drive on is. That's a, just a drive on pass. Okay. Oh, sure enough. So he says, okay, we'll park straight ahead. And I noticed this really tricked out red Corvette. And it's the only covered parking on the whole lot. This is before the dopey building and all the stuff that's there now. It's the only, so this guy must be important, right? Because it says Mr. Eisner and Mr. Eisner's guest. I'm Mr. Eisner's guest. It isn't until I walk into the animation building and I look up Eisner, Eisner, and it dawns on me, this isn't Eisner, it's Eisner. It's Michael Eisner. He's the president of the friggin' company. <laughs> and it says office of the president, third floor animation bill. I go up there and I'm, all I can think of is, oh my gosh, don't shake my hand because it's so <laughs> clammy. I'm going to, I mean, I just, please don't shake. So I, in my very first meeting, I meet Mr. Eisner, Whoa. Frank Wells, who's the president of the Walt Disney Company. And then Jeffrey Katzenberg walks in. I don't know if you know that wow. name. One of the co-founders of DreamWorks now. And uh, that was, I'm scared. This is your introduction to the company. Yeah. Whoa. Anyway, we have a great meeting, but on the way home, they've called my house. Remember, this is before cell phones. Yeah. Call my house. My mom answers again. And so Marty. Are, are you showing, did you show them the film? No, no. When they you just, met with them? No, we talked about, you know, I, and, and, and it turns out that this guy who had given them my name. Yeah was the guy that headed up Silver Screen Partners 1, 2, and 3. He was the one that raised billions of dollars wow. for their next 40 films. I, wow. I'm throwing out a number. I don't know if it's 40 or sure. if it's 80. But Silver Screen Partners, if you look up Silver Screen Partners, that he was the guy that had that. And this is this, this really chill, unassuming dude who I only had a literally a two-minute conversation with and have never spoken with since who got me that opportunity. But I still didn't have a job. I remember... Um, Frank Wells says, well, look, we don't put pressure on the guys to hire anybody. I'm like, you're right, right? Yeah. But we'll mention, to, we understand you've been in to see Marty. We'll mention to Marty that you've been in to see us, and let's just see what happens. I, between leaving that meeting and getting home, Marty had called my house, talked to my mom, and offered me a job. And wow. I was to start the very next day. But here's where it gets crazy. I go into the studio the very next day, and he's brought in all of his executives, his head of production, and they're in the room to meet me because they don't know who I am. And that's freaking them out. Who is this young phenom, right? He must be important. He just met with Katzenberg, Eisner. These are guys that we don't even get in to see. Yeah. And Marty starts grilling me. Well, are you related to Michael? Are you, are you, how, are you his, happen? how did this? And once they ascertained that there was no direct blood relationship, that it was, and I was, 
honest and I thought, well, no, it's even cooler that I got in because of a little movie, stupid little movie I made. Yeah. Once they determined that, that I, there was no relationship, they didn't even, they were, they were so cool and so friendly. I want to shake my hand when I walked in. But once that was determined, the wow. guys just walked out. They were done. And Marty handed me a piece of paper, says, well, welcome to Disney. Can you go, do you know how to run a copy machine? <laughs> wow. And I was the coffee boy and the copy boy. And I was the gopher and, and that was, it was, it was the lowest job on the lot that you can have. I ran scripts around here and there. I took, you know, I, I, and I was thrilled to be there because Marty said, I want you to read every memo that comes in and every memo that goes out on every production. And that's where I started to, started to learn things, you know? So anyway, that's how I got into Disney. So then how long were you in that position and what came after? Well, I think I learned when I was at Disney that I really didn't want to be, I, I was on a studio executive track at that point. I would have been, I would have been, and to this day, I'm convinced I would have been a, probably a mediocre to pretty good studio executive, but I didn't want to be a studio executive. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Okay. I had worked uh, on one summer on a movie called, on the original Footloose movie that came to town. It was in 1980. And so I watched Herbert Ross, uh, who was a very renowned director, and, uh, you know, there was this young up and coming actor named Kevin Bacon and Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, these were all, they didn't know this, this was before they were famous. Right. Yeah. And so I learned working on Footloose that I wanted to be a filmmaker, Okay. but it wasn't until I got to Disney that I realized that I, I, I don't want to be a studio exec. I want to be a filmmaker. So I left Disney and went back out and just started freelancing okay. after I was only there for about a year. Okay. And so what was like your first, like, did you have a film that like in the industry kind of put you on the map? Um, I did a whole bunch of short films. You know, I, I worked on some of the early, I mean, these are old, these are the films that you guys cringe at. If you were to watch, I mean, these are the old seminary films. The, you know, <laughs> these were the, these were the, the, the best of the worst of them. I say that. <laughs> I yeah. Think I, I'm still floored that called to serve hasn't been redone yet. Yeah, we should do it. We should, right? Yeah. I've been saying that for a year. He did Call to Serve. It was funny. Like oh, half okay. of that is filled with my cousins. <laughs> it's awesome. But I'm like, I loved that when I was younger. Yeah. Like, I, I watched that a ton getting ready for my mission. I'm like, I think it would be so cool to remake that every 10 years. Yeah, right? we should. I'd love to. I've tried to, I've tried to convince him to do that. Really? Yeah. But I, I don't know. It was, it was just a series of short, again, it was just an opportunity to learn. So it was, uh, these were short films, uh, that were kind of instructional in nature. And, and since I'd been at Disney and, and worked kind of at the BYU, there was some, some connections that I had. And, and so I started directing those and then I got my first feature break and the feature film, you know, feature film, but by, by definition is, is a movie that is worthy of playing in a theater basically. Okay. okay. You hope so. Now there are a lot of feature films made that don't make it, you know, they end up just playing on TV or yeah. And it, um, it was called just like dad. And it was with Wallace Shawn. If you saw princess bride, he's the Sicilian, you know, inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh huh. So he's my, he's, he's one of the lead characters. And, uh, and that was probably my first, that was back when the Disney channel was just starting up and they were acquiring outside independently produced films. And so we were making films with a company called Lucadia and these were small budgets, you know, they were, uh, usually about a million dollars or slightly under. 
and but a sale one sale small budget what was a normal budget back then like what would have been considered a a large budget well the disney channel just the disney channel movie back then they were spending four to five million okay uh, we were making these for about one and we were making them right in Salt Lake City. And so we did a few of those and okay. sold those to Disney. And then that led on to other, you know, a little bit bigger, better budgets. And okay. and then working directly for the channel as well as Nickelodeon and on and on and on. So there was a period of about 15, 18 years where it was just nonstop uh, working now as a director on mostly what you would consider, you know, either comedic or or family friendly films whether that be nickelodeon or disney or, or and columbia tristar whatever. what are some of the most recognizable names or of stuff that you did in that time frame hmm. well there was a period where i was also doing episodic television so uh that's a big word had, episode i've never heard it been called that before episodic television just episodes well, yeah, that's just sorry. What, sorry, I'm, I'm old school. Everyone here is as I'm old as me. school. Yeah, you guys call it what's the streaming, and I guess you don't have to get wet, right? Good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do know what streaming is, is Cam. A grandpa joke. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh wow. Anyway, where were we? We were talking about movies you've done, like, like, like so Wish Upon a Star, like... Yeah, Wish Upon a Star, because, uh, like, look, if you look back at the, I mean, you were, I mean, some of the names were, like, Power Rangers and Teenage <laughs> yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, was that during this time? Yeah, I did a, a couple of these smaller movies, and then I, I got into the episodic television. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> SAG. Um that's, that's Screen that's Actors, screen Guild. actors Guild. Yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> and then I got my Joy. Uh, my DGA card. That's Directors uh-huh. Guild of America. Oh, that's a step up. Yeah, it is. That's when you're the boss. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, we didn't have any, you know, Power Rangers. They were covered in colored plastic, so you didn't, you know, we didn't have any real, like, breakout stars that, right. yeah. that were famous. Ninja Turtles, they're in the costume the whole time, so who are they? They're just bunch of chinese stuntmen you know but <laughs> and they're awesome and I, I love working with these guys by the way Th- this was jackie chan's crew and they are frigging awesome wow. to work with they that were dude, the most fun the ninja turtles yeah well power rangers and ninja turtles okay uh they are just the most awesome professional fun so like was jackie chan on set no 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 oh. they'd work with jackie chan in the off season you know we weren't shooting the series because you know he can't Jackie Chan, I mean, the guy's a, he's a, an amazing, um, I, st- stunt man, whatever. I mean, your body's going to wear out. You can only make so many movies For a sure. year, right? You can't keep a crew busy constantly. So his crew is always going out to very, you know, martial artists. Okay. They're, they're martial artists and they're working on various films, but their staple at that point was Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles and those kind of things. So was there... A specific film. Well, first of all, what's the difference between a film and a movie? <laughs> Boy, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, uh, I think film is what the. Uh, it's just a term. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. I think we call them movies. The people that make them call them films. It's like musicians call them like albums and tracks. Like that's like. Yeah, songs and. Yeah. Ask somebody in film school. I don't know. I mean, I used to. I got. Is it offensive a, if I call what you've done a movie? No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. You can't offend me. I'm, <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. I'm not 
So on one of your sets, try, with, why don't you try and offend me? I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever an actor, or an actress that was like really famous? You were kind of like, oh wow, like either starstruck a little bit or nervous to work yeah. with. Oh yeah, for sure. But I I realized that look, everybody you know puts on their pants one leg at a time, right? So uh, Not I got this call. <laughs> well. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> <laughs> Those might be painted on. That's true. But uh, I got a call literally the night before it was a commercial. Uh, they were developing Provo Canyon and somebody put together a series of spots with, uh, there were three spots, one featured Marie Osmond. That's not the one I'm talking about. And then and, and one featured Robert Redford and the other one featured both of them together. And the director on it was freaking out. He didn't know if he could work with Redford because he just like was so enamored by his body of work, as was I, as am I. I mean, he's an amazing talent, right? And uh, so he said, can you direct this? Here's, I'm going to send you over the script. Can you do this tomorrow? And I said, sure. So I just did it, you know. And, wow. and he, was, he was late. He's late for everything. Red, Redford's always late, makes everybody wait. But we had a great time and, and we, I just, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, well, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. Remember, I'm not directing him in terms of his performance. This is a, this is a 30 second spot. Yeah. I'm just kind of giving him some direction on blocking, you know, where he's going to ride his horse and where he's going to walk through the river and how he's going to walk with these kids. And there's some native American kids in the mix. And, and, um, but I just figured, you know what? He's just a guy and I'm just a guy. And we had some fun, you know, as we were scouting out the locations, I, I asked him about some of his earlier movies, but ones that he didn't expect. I asked him about the great Waldo pepper. Cause I loved it. Cause it's about flying. Right. He said, nobody asked me about that movie. Yeah. We had a great conversation. We had a lot, a lot of fun with it, but, and then I was able to go up and ski with him. He's a pretty good skier. Um, actually that's awesome. You skied with Robert Redford. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He, he sent me a pass and he says, come on up sometime. And, and, uh, I didn't think I'd actually connect with him, but he happened to be there and, uh, and so we skied a couple yeah. of runs together and, and he's, he was a pretty good skier. So who is someone that we'd be surprised one for good and one for bad on like who they actually are, as opposed to like the characters they play in terms of misbehaving. Yes. Like, um, or like someone well, maybe that's we nice. think they're nice, but they're really, gosh, you're asking me to dish on sure. something. I'm going to get yeah, in trouble here. Well, you know what? Catherine Heigl. Okay. She has a reputation. It's no secret. She has a reputation of being really difficult to work with. Yeah. I did not find that to be the case. Now, maybe that was because she was young, but, and her, her mother kind of has that same, Nancy has that reputation of, she now produces for Catherine by virtue of relation, you know, right. um, but Catherine was a sweetheart. Um, she has a definite way she wants to do things, but with, when people are difficult, a lot of times it's just good to take a step back and say, okay, what is it you want? What do you think? Yeah. And, and, and if, you're, if your goals align, that's fine. Who cares who gets the credit for the idea? You just want the scene to work, right? So, so being in that world, did it change your perception of being famous? Like, did, like I guess, it, were you wanting to become famous at any time? And then once you experienced maybe some of them, you're like, okay, I don't want to ever that's see that. That's a great that. question. That's a great question. And I don't. I don't really get asked that very often, um, but it's a great question. And yeah, there was a point where uh, fame might have been in, an enticement for me, mm-hmm. but I really honestly, especially for kids, I would not wish fame on anybody, especially kids. I think being famous would be the worst thing ever. 
Yeah. You guys have no idea. I mean, I again, I'm speaking from the standpoint of somebody who is not famous. I have had my 15 minutes, you know, here and there. I've had a couple of little 15-minute episodes. Yeah. There's that episode word. I'm sorry, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> episodic adventures. Yeah. Yes. I've had episodic fame moments. But, yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, there's there's there are filmmakers that are far more noteworthy, far more noted for what they've done with a much broader body of work than I, and I, and I recognize that. And there are times where I'm envious of that times, but they're fleeting. I, uh, I've worked with a lot of kids who have, who were basically just kids and think about just for a minute about what it would be like to be, you know, say you're 14, 15 years old, you've gone out to Hollywood and you're going to be there for pilot season. That's when all the new shows are starting up and you're trying to get a job cast in a, in a pilot. What happens when you get cast and then that becomes, you know, they buy the first series of episodes. Now, all of a sudden, as a 12 year old at 12 years old, you're the breadwinner in your family. That That's would wild. be crazy. Think about what that does to once the series starts to air and it becomes popular. What does that do to your friendships and your relationships? Yeah. Those that are they're genuinely your friends tend to pull away because they don't want to be perceived as a hangers on, you know, they're not hanging on to your coattails. Yeah. Those who aren't your friends want to have everything to do with you. They want to come and hang out with you. They want to be seen with you. They want to take, they want to do Snapchats and all that. How you say Snapchat? <laughs> <laughs> they want to do all this stuff, right? What happens then when the series ends? Very few, very few child actors ever transitions into adult you know, adulthood acting. I mean, Oh yeah. Just look at the list of the Disney stars that are now, yeah. I mean, Kurt Russell is one of the only ones who really pulled it off. I mean, he was a young Disney child actor and he was able to pull it off. So I have the same old, I mean, it's almost a rote from memory, you know, conversation I have with the parents and it, it, I, it, there's nothing that says I'm supposed to do this, but I just feel like an obligation as a parent. I, I say to these parents, look, we're about to start, you know, your little Johnny's in the series and he's just starting off or we've just cast your son in this movie and this is his first movie, or maybe this is, he's done some community theater and now he's, he's in the big time. He has a potential. You've, you've got to still make him take out the trash. Okay. You've, he's still got to make his right, bed, right? You've got to have a relationship with him and you've got to help him understand that this is temporary. This is fleeting. It's not going to last. And those who cling to their families, you know, and can, they're the few that survive. Interesting. Well, but it, you think, it messes up your whole psyche. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm around a lot of athletes. And when an athlete retires, I mean, these are grown men and women. And it really messes with them. When they retire and they're just done, it's like, what do I do now? So imagine that at 12 to 15 years old when you're already like hormonal, oh, yeah. super concerned about what everybody thinks about you. Right. Your brain isn't even fully formed until, what, 28 or something? Yeah, and then you're, I mean, when the season's going, everyone's waiting on you hand and foot, right? And then all of a sudden, it's just like over. It ends. Oh, my And people don't return your phone calls anymore. The agency that that would bend over backwards for you if you're with creative artists, if you're with CAA or William Morris or one of these big agencies, and they, you know, when you go into their offices, they've got catered food, they've got your name, they they escort you everywhere. They treat you like gold. That's because you are their gold. Right. Yeah. 
but there comes a time when you're no longer valuable to them and they won't even return your call. I'm glad I never had to go, go through that. Yeah. I was never famous enough or had that much capital to, wow. you know, I was kind of, I was kind of shown the door, I think with, you know, certain political events that happened, but you know, that's all in the past. So, but that's a good story. And I did want to touch on it because I think it's fascinating that I think people would love to kind of hear what happened. Cause you were still with Disney Nickelodeon, right? Is that who you working with? I mean, you know what I'm alluding to. I was to. kind of in what we call the rotation. I was, I was, uh, in the mix of, of, of a number of directors that were just going from kind of project to project. Right. And things were going well, you know, we had, um, I had a couple of movies that are, that have been in their all time top 10, you know, like what? well, that just continue to air year after year. Um, like we I just see. came out of, we just came out of uh, Halloween. So Phantom of the Megaplex is one. Okay. That, that they've been, airing I still forever. see wish upon a star pop up. Yeah. It's, it's, it still plays and paper brigade still plays from time to time. Right. And, and that was, uh, there was another fan. That was Evan Rachel Wood, right? Yeah. Wasn't that? No, that was, uh, that was little little secrets. secrets. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. My wife and I were holidaying. We're on holiday down in Mexico, and we saw it in Spanish. Really? Where it comes on TV, and I go, "Oh, cool! Yes, that is another nine cool. cents. I get like nine <laughs> cents every time it airs." <laughs> hey, nine cents adds up, man. It does. Uh, so when you uh, when you said political events, this is I'm, I, I assume you're referring to Prop Eight in California, right? Yeah, that was kind of a. That was kind of a rough time. Can we go into that a little bit? Sure. We yeah. can <laughs> so uh, you I guess had, we can laugh about it now, right? You had done some stuff for the church already, right, at mm -hmm. this point, but now mm -hmm. you're fully in, you know, California working with right. you know, Disney, Nickelodeon, et cetera. Right. But two thousand eight, right? Is that when that was? Or is it earlier? I wanna say it Gosh, I should look it up to be accurate. But I remember, but, but I guess to set the stage a little bit, it wasn't like I, I wasn't one to wear my religion on my sleeve, but if anybody asked, I wasn't going to shy away from it either. That uh, was 2008. So people, people would always on Friday when we'd wrap, you know, typically we work a five day week. So when we wrap on Friday, you know, what are you guys going to do for the you know weekend? We're going here, we're going there. Do you want to come? Whatever. Cause most of these times, you know, a lot of times you're filming on location. So you're kind of sequestered with this crew yeah. when whatever hotel you're staying at in this case about this time, I think I was just down in Los Angeles. And um, well, what are you doing? And I, I'd always get a laugh. I said, well, I gotta teach a Sunday school class. You know? <laughs> right. Really? What, you teach Sunday school? Like, are you a pastor or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it's just my, my job. I wouldn't say calling because they wouldn't understand. Sure. It's just my job. I, you know, I'm part of a church where we have no paid clergy. We all have our jobs right. and that's my job right now. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And then they kind of snicker, you know, it's like, seriously, this guy's a director and he teaches Sunday school. Okay, whatever. But word gets out, you know, they find out that you're a, you know, they, they called us Mormons in the day. Can we use the term Mormon anymore? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <clears throat> but everybody knew that I was a member of the church and uh, that wasn't a secret though. I didn't, again, I didn't really go out of my way to publish it. I just, if somebody wanted to talk about it, I wasn't going to shy away from it either. And they also knew how the church, the church's position in Southern California, how, how the church felt about proposition eight. So when what I, what is proposition eight in case people forget, what was it? It was basically, um, there was, it was prop 22 that not prop no, it was, it was 
Yeah, Prop 22. Was it Prop 22? Same-sex marriage, Prop 22 in 2000. It was basically the 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 wording was defined as marriage between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Back then, it was it, there were civil unions, and I'm going to slaughter this because I, I mean I've forgotten I've forgotten a lot. I'm reading about through it right now. About, but but Prop Eight basically defined legally marriage between a man and a woman, and and the 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 members of the church back there were really at the, the, the tip of the spear in walking doors, you know, walking door to door and posting signs, and there was a lot of stuff that happened on that that was was very well. The church directly, I mean, the church got involved directly. Well, right? basically, they wrote a letter to the uh, to the folks down there and says, "Do all you can to support this initiative." Okay, right. and to their credit, even even members of the church who disagreed with supporting it, they they supported it. And they went out and they they knocked doors and they they put posters out, you know, prop, you know, yes on eight, and of course it got dubbed as, you know, it was H, it was hate. Uh, what was the? I can still see the signs, but signs were stolen and it was an ugly time. And anybody that had donated the campaign was outed and they were put on Google Maps. Uh, if you and so I met, I mean, I I can tell you hundreds, literally hundreds of stories of people who had donated a proposition eight and then they were outed and their business suffered okay. dramatically. Some had lost their jobs. I know a guy that went to jail, lost everything, an attorney. He was an attorney. Yeah. Kamala Harris came after him directly. You know, she was the attorney general at that time. Yeah. I mean, he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And signs were stolen. There, there's, there's tens of thousands of documented police reports that document stolen stolen signs. I remember one of the guys electrified his sign and then his wow. neighbor tried to steal it and burned his hands and the yes. neighbor sued him. And, uh, and, and the neighbor I think prevailed in court because anyway, so it was a dark time. And so basically I was, yeah, I said, this probably isn't a good fit anymore. Uh, Disney. Now remember when I worked at Disney, when I started there, I was, I was the only straight member on my staff when I worked in story development. I was the only straight guy. I got along fine with everybody. We all got along great because these are, you know, look, we're in a business of, we're in a creative business. And if you can create, if you're, if you can, if you can do your job effectively, I don't, you know, care what your political affiliation is or sexual orientation. And, uh, but I was basically said, you know, I mean, they basically said, you know what, this isn't a good fit anymore, so you're done. So I was, I was done. So I thought, well, it's, you know, when one door, you know, closes, another now one Now, when open. they say you're done, is it like? They just kind of stopped hiring me, basically. But like, was it to a point where, hey, wink, wink, not judge all, everyone else down there, like, don't hire this guy? Like, were you put on the list not to get hired? I can't say definitively I've put on some list, but since I was already in a very small group of people that were doing family-friendly films, yeah, um, uh, I, can, I think that was the vibe. Okay. But I can't, you know, I, I got to be very careful. I can't For say sure. that yeah. there was some blacklist or something. But I was told by an executive in no uncertain terms, this just isn't a good fit anymore because because there was a project I was up for and I'd already done a couple of success, successful projects with these guys and all of a sudden the phone wasn't ringing and so uh, but you know it happens and life goes on yeah interesting so then what Crazy. so then what did you transition to then um, I basically you know, I was, we had, we were living in Utah at the time. I okay. was just, I had a little apartment down in Santa Monica. So we were, we were, I was just flying back and forth. And so I, 
you know, we closed up shop in the apartment down there. And, and uh, after that, I just focused on work around here. I thought, well, I'll get back into documentary work or I'll, uh, maybe there'll be some independent work that I can do. And, you know, after that. Okay. It just, then, then the church called and said, Hey, we, we've got a couple of special projects. We, if you'd be interested, we'd like to, and we, we'd like to start filling our own theater with some material. We'd like you to pitch us some stuff. And so that led to some other opportunities. So what was some stuff, what were some of the things that you worked on that you helped do for the church after that? Uh, there was the, um, they, you guys have been, you guys been to the legacy theater oh, yeah. downtown, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big screen, beautiful theater. I mean, as theaters go, there's, there's not many theaters like it. It's a beautiful 500 seat theater. And they'd been running a couple of movies in that, you know, that, that, uh, I can't like testaments and, um, I can't remember all the movies that they, they were made just for the legacy theater. Sure. So I, I mean, legacy was the first one, right? Yeah, that's the, right. Yeah. yeah. Legacy was the first one. And I think testaments might've been the right. second one. And I just felt, even though my training was really in scripted narrative work, I was getting more and more interested in documentary at that point. And I just felt like, gosh, we ought to just do a documentary about Latter-day Saints all over the world and let them tell their own stories. And by virtue of hearing those stories, uh, learn about who we are. And they should be from, it should be kind of geographically and ethnically diverse because that's who we are as a church, right? right. I mean, we are a worldwide church. And uh, so that gave rise to this idea that I pitched and it, it became Meet the Mormons. We didn't, you know, we didn't so call that, it So that, that was your idea. I mean, that was concept. Everything was, was you. Yeah, pretty much. But That's awesome. But, you that's know, where uncle. do ideas. That's well, my uncle. Well, but where do ideas come from? You know, so. Sure. Your heart. Um, yeah, or maybe, yeah, or maybe a higher power. I mean, who who is it that really wields that hockey stick there, Cam? Is it you or is that the man upstairs? It's the man upstairs, for there sure. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Who is it that great gave you the great talent for, uh, you know, barbecue? Do you think that was you? John Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it was, well, it's just like your uh, story as a kid. I mean, has to be fun, right? You have to love it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the big man definitely had a hand in it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, there were some ideas that came into my head that I, I, I honestly, guys, I don't, I honestly can't take credit for them. I can't. See, I would love to hear a couple stories. So I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this story or not. We can cut it out if not. But I remember, I remember something that happened here in Bam Bams when you were trying, you were in production or is post-production. Is that the right term? Like the movie well, had been made. Yeah, yeah that's post-production. But the film. thank you. Thank you. It's a film. <laughs> it's a movie, damn it. Okay. <laughs> and I remember you came in for lunch one day and I saw you on a pretty heated phone call. Really? Uh-huh. And it's it's so interesting because I remember you coming back in. I'm like, was that about? Because I knew you were, you know, you had finished Meet the Mormons and that was coming out. But I remember hearing kickboxer a few times <laughs> and, yeah i guess if okay and i remember asking like so what's going on and you just said well there's somebody above me that does not think that a fighter or a martial arts person should be and meet the mormons am i getting the story right well that, that a typical good relief quote-unquote relief society sister should be a kickboxer something oh, along those gosh. lines right yeah yeah and i felt like 
Because uh, you were you were pretty mad. We had it. We had it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. We had a vigorous exchange of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeding you pork while you were on the call to keep you like <laughs> Calm energized. Down. No, no, well, just to keep you in the fight. Keep me from reaching through the yeah. <laughs> just to keep well, we get passionate up. about these stories, you know, and and uh, in this case, we'd already made it and it was done, and and there were a lot of people that when we tested it, really it tested well. Um, you know, we test these stories with audiences yeah. before we ever release them. And the kickboxer was a, I mean, actually in truth, guys, all the stories tested well for sure for different reasons. Yeah. You know, there's the Navy coach then there's a the kickboxer. There's, you know, there's all anyway. Yeah. There was this whole discussion and, but fortunately, um, you know, wisdom prevailed again above my pay grade. And they said, you know, we think this should stay. And it was actually elder Iring. I was going to say, this didn't before, you have to go yeah. over that person's head? Yeah, and usually we don't. We try not to do that. We try to work in councils. We work with committees. But, it, you know, creative by committee, I'll just say flat out, creative by committee does not work. It's never worked. But yet we have to work in councils, and we have to somehow find a way to work through that and make it work. And so in this case, in this particular case, this uh, this story as well as others were kind of protected by – I think Elder Iron, just before he was in the first presidency, Elder Irene knew of what I was kind of going through. And uh, he said, how you doing? And I said, well, we've got this issue. And he said, what's, what's really the issue? And I was trying to represent both sides. And he just hmm, thought about it. He said, well, I think we'll, let me just kind of take care of it. <laughs> and so he basically sent a little memo. If any, you know, Meet the Mormons is finished. The picture is locked. If you have any further questions, reach me, you know, reach out to my office. That's a, that's power right there. And that basically shut everybody down. And I'm, you know, you there, were, there, were, to the there were thousands of discussions. Did you send a wink, a little winky emoji <laughs> to the guy. It's like, Hey, suck it. Well, he had, he had said some <laughs> things that were, uh, not quite accurate and we had to call him out on it. And, um, and, uh, but it, it all got resolved. I mean, I'm really giving you kind of the vanilla. Oh yes, you are. <laughs> And that's okay. That's okay. So what what do you find to be the biggest differences between what you do or what you did in LA or you know working in that world, making, you know, making movies, making episodes and trying to do the same thing within the church? It's definitely it's completely different mindset for sure. Uh, because you are dealing with these committees and uh, the church like any other large organization uh, has several bureaucratic levels and that's right. just the way it is. And that makes it very difficult. You don't have as definitely, there's not the creative, uh, freedom and autonomy that you would find. But I guess for me, I've, I guess I've just said to myself, I'm willing to accept that given the material that we're working on. Have you ever turned something down just because things are just too bureaucratic and oh, sure. just, yeah. Like oh, yeah. I am so done with this. And yeah. can you do that and not worry oh, yeah. about losing your, well, I your just gig? did. I just recently did your spot I, online almost. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I've been on book of Mormon and I've been on all the seasons and I started off the very first year, um, as the, there's, there's a rotation. I was the lead director just to get them started. And then I'm in, in, in uh, rotation with other directors and we each kind of do our own episodes and, but last year I had kind of a lion's share and it was, it was third Nephi. So this is, you know, in terms of book of Mormon, it doesn't get any more important than these are the book of Mormon videos yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And they're, 
and again, you know, I, I get asked a lot, well, why can't they be more like the chosen, you know, and, and we'd love to do stuff like that if we could, right. but we have to be very careful. We have to be very, uh, accurate. We can't just run off and, and guess about what may have happened. So, I mean, there's certain things that we don't know and we have to guess, but we have to kind of fill in the blanks, but, um, so, but yeah, there's, there are times where I can turn stuff down and just say, you know, I'm not a good fit for this. I'm going to let somebody else do it. And I just kind of gently back away. So can I ask who are the committees that you keep mentioning? Like, is that nobody knows? I, well, that's kind of what I'm <laughs> It's like, is that, is it, are no, they general authorities? Are they, is there a department that oversees that? Is it the 70s? answer is the answer is yes to all of <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's large and it's very vast. We have a, a correlation committee that kind of oversees that there's, there's they, they, they kind of, the watcher over the doctrine to make sure that we're portraying things correctly. Does he wear a robe? <laughs> no, that would be awful. not to work. <laughs> no, they have a job to do and I respect that. Um, it's a tough job. I wouldn't want it. So when you, when you're making one of these, I imagine the script is approved blah, blah, blah. But if you have an idea, something that you think will really add to it, it just comes what, down to, do you have to like push it up and how long would that take to get approved? Or is it not even worth trying? It varies. Point? It varies. Sometimes it isn't worth trying, but sometimes it depends on kind of what you've just finished and how much capital you have in the room. If a, if a senior general authority knows your work and knows that you've and can look you in the eye. I mean, I, and, and, and you can say, and they can say, is this going to work? Blair, is this going to work? And I say, yes, it's going to work. Trust me. Then there's a certain level of trust there. But as, as you get distanced from projects that were successful, um, or you're meeting with a whole new group of people, you're starting from ground zero again. Like, right. so who's this guy? I don't know who he is. You know, I, I don't know if I should trust him. I mean, to tell her Iring's credit, um, he once asked me on another unrelated film from the previous one I was just talking about, it was a big budget. And he looked me across it. I went and inter he interviewed me and he looked me right in the eye. And he says, now we're going to be spending about the same amount on this film that we will be to build a small temple. Will it be worth it? Wow. And I had to look him in the eye and say, I don't know. That's, that's a decision for somebody above my pay grade. I mean, I, I just, but it gives you a sense of, of how uh, purposeful and how important, you know, and how, how meaningful these projects are to the senior brethren. You know, they want them to, to hit the mark. And, and so there's a lot of pressure. I mean, we've, I've actually, fortunately, I haven't had to do this very often, but there have been times where I've presented in front of the entire 12. Wow. Jeez. You know, and it's, it's, you know, they, they, uh, and they're, they're, these are amazing men. I, I'm, if I'm, if I'm, awestruck or starstruck it's not by anybody i've seen in hollywood it's it's these 12. interesting they're incredibly they don't always agree they have vigorous exchanges from time to time but they're very deferential they respect one another there's decorum and there's absolute a sense all of at all times of seniority really yeah yeah oh yeah whoever this whoever is senior in the group when they say this is the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. And, you know, and these guys are, uh, they're bright, they're smart. I mean, I just feel honored to really 
be able to hang with any of them for a brief period of time. And I'm not, uh, just to be clear, I'm not on a, it's not like I play golf with these guys. It's not like I'm on a first name basis. I mean, I did get to know Elder Holland and Elder Bednar pretty closely. And I think they would, they might wave at me across the parking lot and they might recognize me and they might say hi, Blair. But other than that, I'm not, you know, don't, don't think that I'm, you know, it's not like I'm buddy buddies with any of these guys, but I don't envy their position. Oh man, that'd be almost an impossible position. They're under a microscope, everything they do. You know? Yep. So is there a project that you, I mean, I would imagine Meet the Mormons had to be probably your favorite, maybe just because it was yours, but is there something more recently that you've really enjoyed working on? Well, in, in terms of fulfilling Meet the Mormons, because I was on it from beginning to end and it had, it, it, it was one of those, in fact, it's the only, I think, church project. I could be wrong, but I think it's the only project the church has done that actually went full-blown theatrical right. and, and actually was in all the theaters and uh you know it was number one at the box office when it came out now it wasn't competing against much but for a for a religious documentary it'd be number so one cool. pretty good and uh and it made a lot of money and we donated it to charity and it was fun to be able to you know elder stevenson i was there when he handed the check to the american red cross i said can i see the check and he showed it to me it was cool you what know was it was the check? It was uh, it was just proceeds from. No, the how first, much was the check? It was I don't know, it was a couple million bucks. Okay, you know. I've never seen a check funny. for a million, you know, a couple million dollars. Right. I've never seen a check like that. That would be fun. Wow. So I have a totally side question, off topic. When you're directing, how often when you're filming are you filming in sequential order? Never. So is it you just film based on like the scene, like? the uh i don't know like the set basically so you'll film every scene from that set so you're not having to kind of come back and forth to it or it's, if you go to a location you film every scene from that location exactly that's what you do it's, it's been said that you really shoot a schedule more than you shoot i mean you, uh, making a movie is is all about uh well, i shouldn't say it's all about but in large measure it's about logistics so in Wish Upon a Star, for example, there's a lot of scenes that take place at the high school and at our lead character's house. Well, and, and then within the house, there's the scenes in the kitchen, there's the scenes in her bedroom, there's the scenes in the front yard, there's the scenes in the backyard. So, and there's also night scenes, and there's also day scenes. Mm -hmm. So we shoot it completely out of order, and that's what makes it so much fun and yet makes it, from a continuity standpoint, difficult. So, like, uh, that's what I thought. So How hard would that be for yeah. an actor? Like... You have this scene, which is this emotion. Exactly. This scene has, you know, you don't get to experience, the actors don't get to experience the emotion or the sequential order of what's happening. So they just have to like pick up. That's right. You know? That's right. That would be so hard. Yeah. It is. And that's that's why I have such respect for actors who really, you know, who, who have developed their craft. And that's what the discussion's all about. Like, for, like what to your point, let's say you have a scene where, and takes place in the kitchen and parents yell at a kid and her daughter, let's say, and she runs out of the house crying. And now you, she runs into the arms of her boyfriend who's waiting in a Jeep out front. I'm just making this stuff up. Sure. I mean, I don't know. Um, let's say you shoot the exterior scene first before yeah. getting the full context of the scene. That's and yet when it's cut together, it feels like it just happened in sequential order. Right. And, and, it's even trickier when you're talking about stunts or car chases because um, now sometimes you have to shoot those in order because certain things happen 
in the context of the stunt that can't be repeated. And so you have to kind of let it build upon itself. But, uh, yeah, movies are all, I mean, you're shooting. So in the case of wish upon a star, going back to that, we shot all the, the bedroom scenes together. We shot all the kitchen scenes together and we go to the high school, shoot all those scenes together. And there's wardrobe changes. There's, well, and your job to make sure that they are, you know, keeping that emotion or the energy, you know, yeah. that you can identify that it does feel consistent. Like that would be. Well, you have to know everyone's playbook. It's like yeah. the quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you have, have to, to know, know the routes. Every play, yeah, you have to know everyone's job. Yeah. It's the one person that has to know everyone's job. And I mean, that'd be crazy. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting position because it's, you have to, and again, I can't speak to how other directors work. Um. Uh, I don't know that they do it this way and I wouldn't say that this is the only way you should do it. Yeah. But at least for me, uh, because I recognize that I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm really not a, I'm not particularly a smart guy. I just have, but I, I do work really hard. Yeah. I have to, when I have the script, I've seen it on when I, I've seen it on my mind screen already. I've read the script. I had, it's not quite there, but until it's cast and I've been in the location and I've seen, um, the props and I've seen all the elements there will come a point right, usually right before the movie's made where I can sit down and I can play the entire movie in my head. I can't, I don't have it memorized, sure. but I can read the script and I know, okay, Catherine Heigl is going to go across. She's going to say this line and she's going to stand up and then she's going to pick up this prop and she's going to go over here and she's going to say this to her mother and she's going to go out the door. Now that doesn't mean we shoot it that way, but what it means is that I have a concept in my head for how I'd like to shoot it. And then once we get the actors in the space and we get some other people that are, uh, that I recognize are more talented than myself, they're going to come up with better ideas than I have. But if in case they don't, I've got a fallback position. Yeah. And so it's like when you lay out a store cam, you know where your ovens are going to be, you know right. how you want the flow to be, you know where you want to take the orders, right? You know where the vending machines and you, you kind of envision yeah. how it's going to flow, right? right? It rarely turns out exactly that way. Totally. That's catering. Every catering job. It's like... So first thing you do is look at the room. How many people are coming in? Are they all coming in together? Are they coming in you know, yeah. apart? And you're thinking about the stuff that nobody else thinks right. about because that's your job, right? That's why they hired me for Trek last year. <laughs> Jerks. But I did save them a ton of time. You should gotcha. have seen I how it was laid out. Trek. If you were catering, I would go on Trek. Yeah. Well, I didn't really even get to cater. I was just there because they're like, you know how to serve a lot. You know, it's like you know, 1,200 kids or whatever. And, oh, my gosh, they had it the, the way they had it lined up. I shaved an hour off every meal easy, but it, it sounds like a joke, but it's, it's a real thing. I mean, the way everything flows, it makes a huge difference. It does. And I got to tell you, I'm going to diverge for a second, diverge. So my son was in a serious car wreck and we thought we were going to lose him. Uh, and he was up at, um, uh, up at IHC Murray uh, Murray. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he was in the ICU for an extended period of time and cam brought in some barbecue for oh, all the geez, doctors and nurses. Tell that story. It was so cool. I mean, because just by him doing that, um, it was not like the doctors and nurses wouldn't have already, uh, paid great attention to his every need, but just that they were fed and cared for. It gave me that assurance. Okay. They're going to give my kid a special <laughs> treatment. Oh, know? for sure. And they were great up there. They were awesome. And, and you know, Food, food is important, guys. I mean, yeah. can't, I'm telling you this right yeah. now. <laughs> and and what it does when you have a good meal, man. It's uh, in fact on a movie set, 
a lot of times, a lot of times the deciding factor for somebody, if they're not quite sure if they're going to come work on your movie is who's the caterer. I am serious. Wow. Really? I am dead serious, especially with grips, electricians and, you know, crew, you know, drivers, especially drivers. <laughs> really? <laughs> who's catering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if they don't like the caterer that you've got, uh, they're going to pass and work on somebody else's project. Well, that's every meal all day long, right? All day that long. One per, that one company is doing all the food. It's important. It's food huge. is important. So how, wow. on average, how many times are you having to film a scene? Um, usually I'm not one to film, do a lot of, we call them takes. Yeah. I'm not one to do a ton like some directors do, because if you're doing a lot of takes, there's a handful of things, there's a handful of reasons why, and they're all bad. One is you either have it and don't know that you've got it. So you just keep trying. Mm -hmm. Two is you're not communicating clearly with the actor or you've miscast <laughs> all of which are bad. Yeah. Um, it's just not going right. So if it's not going right, you have to stop and kind of rehearse and pull back and say, okay, what do we, what's not working here? So for me, typically, um, I mean, there in episodic television, there'll be times like when I used to do granite flats, for example, I, we do one say, let's move on. Okay. That's rare. Cause we usually like to have a backup in case. So that's an extreme one or two. But a lot of times we'll do four or five, and if we don't have it, now there's now to be fair, there's sometimes technical issues that come up. Sure, you know you have to do something over because of some some unforeseen technical issue or Idiot. traffic or some low flying plane or some siren or whatever. Uh, Sound that like working out. I mean, I've just done a little bit of TV with barbecue, right? Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, yeah, it's sounds unreal. Great. Like one little thing passes by, and you have to start all over. I could never, I was such a diva after one day of that barbecue pilot. I was like, screw this. Oh my gosh. You know, that's funny because some actors will do it over and over. Like Wallace Shawn, one of my favorite actors. Uh, again, the, the inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah. yeah. He was in my very, he will do it 40 times if I ask him. And he'll try some, some variation on it. Mickey Rooney's another one. Um, you know, you had asked me earlier who, who was surprisingly who surprised you yeah uh and i mentioned katherine heigl right? yeah the other one has to be mickey rooney okay so here's a guy who was a child actor and in his teens was the largest box office draw of his day for 10 years he was the tom cruise of his day yeah right. and he's done you know don't fact check this but i think he's done 500 films whoa that's a lot and I had him on, I've worked with him two or three times and he can be extremely difficult to work with, but he wasn't with me Wow! because I just told him how much I respected him and how much, you know, and it's like, dude, you have forgotten more than I will ever learn. So yeah. let's just have a great time. And, and he, he's gone from, as you might imagine with his age, he, he used to be able to memorize a whole script in a couple of days and he wouldn't even bring it to say, he, he just knew it. But in his later years, he, like Marlon Brando, he can't memorize anything. But I don't, I'm not judging him because I can't remember anything. I can't oh remember. Oh gosh, I, yeah, can't I can never, barely never. remember what I had for breakfast this morning. It was a Monte Cristo. <laughs> we went to breakfast together yeah. this morning. Yeah. yeah, we can't even remember the score after a single point in pickleball or even who served. That's right. <laughs> Did I well, say it's that? funny. We it's watch, I was watching the Friends documentary and they would talk about Courtney Cox would hide all of her lines in the fruit bowl. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, that. like she had like different places on set where yeah. she would like hide her script. No, we do that all the time. Well, like with uh, Mickey Rooney, we'd have to hide his lines in his eye line. If we knew he was going to be looking in a certain direction, yeah. Or if again, if I'm looking at you, if yeah. you're an actor, I'd put the line right behind your head and right. And if it if it's not right, he's not looking at you. It looks kind of funky. Yeah. So we had to do that. Uh, on Phantom of the Megaplex, but what a pleasure to work with! You know this guy. He's a legend. He was married to to uh, Lana. No, wait, uh, oh, we got to look it up. Who was he married to? He was married to <laughs> he was married to a lot of different. I things. was going to say, and he he used to leave the set, uh, kind of his departing sage. What was it? Yeah, it's a long list. Of, <laughs> he would tell us, he would say, gentlemen, save your money. <laughs> save your money. And he knows from whence he speaks. Right. So a couple things to kind of wrap up. Well, one, last thing in the film arena, anything that you're looking forward to right now? Like anything that you're working on or that's in the pipeline right now that you're stoked about? Well, we did. Um, there's a... Uh, there's a project that we're just developing right now. It's a documentary series, and we don't have a buyer yet. We're going to be going out with it to uh, to a couple of buyers that we have or relationships that we have. It's going to be documenting the experience of uh, 18 to 22 year olds who are going into the Anasazi uh, Wilderness Therapy Program. Wow! Oh. And so these are kids that are in need of some some significant rehab. We're not talking about like drug rehab. They can't go out there if they're you know, they, they've already been through rehab if it's alcohol or drug related, and, but they're trying to overcome an addiction, long-term okay. addiction or gaming. That's one of the big ones is gaming addictions. And for whatever reason, they're not fully functional in society. So they go out and, and, and it's, I'm going to be out with my crew for 50 days in the desert. I can't believe I'm going to about, because again, like I said before, I'm kind of an old fart. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but we're going to go out and document their experience simultaneous to the experience of their parents back home. Now, uh -huh. it's not a done deal. We don't know we're going to do this, but that's this one we're working on. But but I will say that... Uh, that will be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be cool. We don't know where it's going to air. You know, I've had, it, it, you know, it might be Netflix or Hulu or uh, we'll go to Nat G, or sorry, um, National Geographic will go to Discovery and with it and see what what happens. Wow, uh, see where it goes from there. Cool. Wow. And then last thing, you've got some cool other personal things in your life. You're a pilot. We haven't talked about that. You love to fly. I'm still alive, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. So you're good at it. But your kids. Yeah. Uh, well, it, they're it's so funny. I probably get asked when people find out my last name. It's probably once or twice a month, and I get asked about ballroom dancing. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know Casey? True. Like, that's my cousin. But yeah, tell us about. Yeah, well, all my kids, uh, thanks to their mother, I married a dancer. And in fact, the first time. Not a bank teller. Not a bank teller. Thank <laughs> heavens. <laughs> She's on her fourth husband right now, I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for the big win. You Actually, know? The, the first time I saw Cheryl was through the lens of a camera. Really? Yeah. Your wife? Yeah. Okay. She you was zoomed dancing. in at her house? <laughs> <laughs> what? Did I tell you that story? <laughs> I was doing a little, one of, when I was a student, one of the other films that I worked on was a, was a documentary slash promo for the ballroom dance company. 
and they tour all over the world and Cheryl was one of their lead dancers at the time and so I saw her and it's like oh my gosh she's cute I gotta get to know her and she wasn't interested in me at all and so I had because she was tall and she wore heels and I was short and, and you showed her a check and she, she was actually, like hey <laughs> I deposited the check dang it I couldn't pull it up on my phone to show her my balance <laughs> She actually said in her journal, you know, Blair's a nice guy, but I could never date him seriously because he's too short. It's actually in her journal. So that's funny. That's exactly what I said to Ashley. Like, I knew her for six months. I'm like, I would love to date you, but you're just, you're too short. Mm. Big Giants among us. Giants yeah. among us. <laughs> so she was a dancer. And so to answer your question, yeah, she, um, she got all the kids into ballroom dancing. And uh, all of them, all we've got two boys, two girls, and they all went uh, to BYU, went through their team, had a great experience. And they've all been in various forms of competitive ballroom dancing. The ones that, uh, you know, my, my oldest daughter, Krista, runs a studio up in Davis County, Davis County, uh, her premier ballroom. And she has, I don't know, 100 and something kids up there. Wow. And, then, and then there's uh, Kyle, who just kind of quit uh, ballroom. He's now kind of in the in the working sector he's done with uh instruction instructing in ballroom but then there's the uh then casey my next son he's there he and his wife are ranked number two in the world right now whoa in, crazy uh, in 10 dance so they're they're just going great guns they're gone right now they're in new york even as we speak and they're going to be in ohio this weekend and then they'll be off to someplace like kiev or they're doing a lot of international travel oh, that's so they're cool. not wild like that's you marry somebody cool. that's as good as you at something and they just and they're both named Casey, by the way. It's Casey and Casey. What? Yeah, yeah. You should have them on your show. No, it would actually be really cool. I haven't talked to I haven't talked to Casey forever. You should. They've got some. Fun that would be stories, really neat. But, but they've they've kind of taken off, and uh, it's a tough, tough world in which they're they're trying to do in a different in a in a same sense, but in a different way. They're trying to do what I was trying to do. Yeah, and they're pulling it off. You know, it's crazy. That's awesome. So cool. Yeah, there's some great stories. And yeah, watch them dance. It's like, so, it's amazing. So is, yeah, they are. So my big question to you is now we're almost done. Do I get my free meal now? Yes, you do. <laughs> you do. You have earned it. You have earned it. No, this has been awesome. There, so much fun. So many good stories. And I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I didn't know, but we'll have to do the uh, uncut version one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Get, dig a little deeper into some of those stories. But but no, this has been fascinating. So that's been fun to be here. Thank it's you for a, coming on. Appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure.